What? Founders need to stop. They need to fire themselves as heads of marketing and go do their job. I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. What I'm seeing right now and what I think we should talk about today is this kind of ongoing riff between heads of marketing, CMOs, or just heads of, whether it's a director level, VP level, whatever it might be, and founders. And and CEOs. Yeah. Founder. I would say founder slash CEOs. Yeah. And it's getting bad. It wasn't great. And it's getting worse. Yeah. I was going to say, I've never seen it good. The umbrella under over this over all of this is that surely we believe that there are companies where these two roles get along and things are good, even if imperfectly, because we also understand that the world isn't perfect and we're not going for like an ideal. So like just to like center us on reality. Yeah. But there's a huge problem that has been happening for over 10 years, because that's all I can speak to, my career, my entire 100% of my career, this problem has existed. It hasn't gotten any better. And you're saying it's getting worse. I'm curious what you mean by that. I think it's getting worse because of things that we've talked about before, which is that tech is becoming less defensible the technology itself of software is becoming less defensible. It's easier to spin up competitors in a quicker amount of time than ever before. And so my argument is that that technology itself is becoming a commodity and commodities compete on brand and distribution, which is essentially core functions of marketing. If software companies need marketing more than ever, and even the relationship between founders, CEOs, and heads of marketing, CMOs stayed the same, it would be an increasingly bigger issue. But what we're also seeing is, uh, especially in venture capital-backed startups, but even in bootstrap startups, that the macro economic environment is changing really quickly and marketers are being asked to do more with less. And that's a strain on the relationship. I think those are the two biggest factors. There's countless smaller factors, like both folks are under increased amounts of stress because of these things and stress tends to break apart relationships. There's lots of little things to diagnose, but I think those are the core biggest ones that are moving so quickly that I don't think that this is going to get better without a lot of work on both sides. I would say there's probably one more elephant in the room, which is that marketing strategy is changing. More folks are leaning into community building, influencer, internal influencer-based marketing, which I think a lot of people call thought leadership, but I don't so I don't like about that SMEs, term. Means, thought yeah, leadership. It means nothing to me. Whatever. Yeah. I'm like I don't. And so basically what I'm saying is we're moving back logically towards a more qualitative based 
strategy that obviously includes things you can measure. But I think that that's also going to put a big strain on the relationship because the more MarTech technology that there was enabled greater measurement of our efforts, which made our efforts in some ways less effective because they were over, we started treating content marketing like performance marketing and it's not. It can play a performance function and it should, but it isn't only that. And now that it's going back to a more brand building, high impact, but less measurable tactics, I think that's going to put a big strain because at the end of the day, the problem has always been for some reason, you just like can't explain marketing to a CEO or founder. And it's interesting because I was talking to somebody else about a company that I can't mention. And it was interesting to discover similar experiences. It's like, how is it that if you're a company doing marketing for that long, why are we still having this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And I know heads of marketing feel that way too. I know heads of marketing are like, I've gone to the board meetings. I've done a lot of upward alignment. I've done a lot of upward management. I've tried to break things down and I'm still not getting the freedom leeway resources that I know I need to do good marketing. And that I think can be frustrating. So I think like both sides are a little bit at an impasse and I don't think either one really knows what to do. It's true because I don't know if I know a single marketer who has an easy time, you know, like not easy. I did. I had coffee earlier this week with one again. We'll we'll do a lot of like anonymity in this episode. This episode is like wiped clean of all identifying details. But I did have coffee earlier this week with somebody who has done a good job of picking this is a head of marketing who's picked really great CEOs and I wouldn't say an easy time, but has been able to manage it effectively and to the point. But even this person said to me jokingly to not advise the founder to fire them. So <laughs> even this person is a little bit like, well, what? don't do that. Please. Uh, so I think that that what I what I mean by that is they recognize the precarious nature of the relationship, even though right now it's working. You know what they should really do? What? Founders need to fire themselves as heads of marketing. <laughs> Founders, this is an interesting case. Need to stop. They need to fire themselves as heads of marketing and go do their job. <laughs> well, and and when they're head of marketing comes to them and needs them needs to leverage the founder CEO for marketing or PR. They should do their job and make themselves available because that is one of the primary functions of a CEO. Like your job is to evangelize the company. Yeah. But to be fair, like I have also spoken with many marketing leaders who didn't know how to communicate value, who maybe got into the job from their creative prowess and still didn't fully understand how to communicate the business case for what they were doing. Maybe they did get too much budget or ask for too much budget and waste it. Like that is definitely a thing. Yeah. I would just say that I'm pretty sure that's a thing on the product side and the engineering. Like I've worked at many companies where like the founding coder built some bunk ass 
code that we were still building on. And you know what I mean? It's like, I'm pretty sure a lot of money has been wasted in other departments too. It's just interesting to me how fraught, how many people try to get involved in the marketing problem. And I think what that does is put your heads in this defensive mode, reactionary mode. I mean, I can't tell you the number of companies, even recently, where it's like the changes get made from on high. They have to keep coming up with new strategy, reproving it, then reproving their whole department. And then they never get anything started. And six months later, they're like, what the, f- what the F are you doing? And then I think what happens too, the further downstream of that is eventually you can only fight for so long before you give up and you just become an internal agency. Yeah. You're just a ticket request thing. Sales needs a one-sheeter. I will make them a one-sheeter. Like there is some level of like just dejection. It becomes like apathy almost. You're just yeah, sort of like, I give where you're up. Just like, I guess this is what we do now. And then they're usually, once you become that internal agency fully where you just don't have a strategy of your own and you're just like a ticket taker machine of like so-and-so needs a landing page, so-and-so needs a one-sheeter, so-and-so needs a booth, whatever it might be. Then what happens is you actually don't have enough time on your schedule, especially if you're a leader, to be able to actually then prioritize the heads down strategy, strategic work, analyzing what's actually working, what's not working. So then you can never actually find your way out of it. It keeps going. And then your work becomes a commodity, which then when it comes time to evaluate budgets are like, well, why do we need these full-time people for this? Why don't we just hire an agency to do it? Because yeah. overall, or it'll be deal with a freelancer because they don't need the context or the strategy building. Yeah, because it's not because getting it's, done anyways. If the work is a commodity, then it is cheaper because you minus yeah. the benefits, you minus all the investment that you that you make in full time employees, and even if the ticket price is a little bit higher, it's worth it. Still, it's still net positive for you because all those hidden costs aren't there either. It's the classic Cinderella problem. I was talking to a marketer earlier this week who is debating either finding another in-house role or going off and freelancing. And the thing that I told this person was like, I actually don't think we're peak marketing freelancer yet. I know it's scary because on LinkedIn, like there's lots of marketers being like, I just started my own freelancing business or consulting business, whatever it is. And I don't think we're actually even peak yet because I think that there are a lot of founders and even heads of marketing that are looking at their marketing program and when they have to do reductions or layoffs are thinking about how can I scale this with external resources instead of bringing people in-house, especially as they start to experiment with new tactics and channels and strategies before they actually hire somebody in. So I think that the market can absorb a lot of these folks that are getting laid off and going through rounds of reductions to be able to go off and build their own business. Yeah, I agree. I think you won't probably feel it right now because obviously I advise and talk to a lot of agencies and it is definitely true that there isn't as much business to go around at this current moment, like yeah. here today in this past month. But when the work comes back, there's going to be a variety of comp- like companies at various stages with different with various budgets that are going to need help and with more sort of niche software tech in like companies coming out, you will need someone like this woman she used to work for me at Animals, Kaylee, she specializes in finance as a freelancer. Hmm. That's huge. Like that's a really big, and I'm sure she has a focus. Yeah. And I'm sure she has a focus within that. She's got her PR background. So like her unique sets of skills make her the perfect fit 
Yeah. For a large enough group of companies that she'll never have enough time, you know, she yeah. won't have enough bandwidth to serve. So I agree with that. I think it's just going to be, there's a little bit of a patience moment where if everybody just calms down, first of yeah. all, and sets up and focuses, they'll be set up to capture this when the moment comes that there's more work to go around. And I think the nuance there is between an agency and a solopreneur, right? And I think that it makes sense. Agencies have overhead too, the way that like, I think sometimes you look at hiring an agency and it's it's not cost effective, but I think hiring a solopreneur freelancer who has great references and a great record can be that thing where I'm putting on my CEO hat where I'm like, yeah, why don't we go scale it with that for a couple months until we understand whether or not we bring in a full-time person. Yeah. Um, or, or a bigger agency. Cause bigger the interesting agency. thing is like cutting the fat applies across the board. And so even though some really good people are also getting cut, great. They're out in the world now and available to you. Yeah. There's a freelancer or a hire. That's awesome. Two. Now when you work with an agency, guess who's there? Mm-hmm. The best of the best. Yeah. There's no like middle ground because they can't afford it. That may not be true across the board. It could be that they keep, depending on the agency, the lower level people. But also like like, agency, agency and freelance doesn't solve the problem because you do the same exact, I mean, four years of animals encountering similar scenarios where you have to prove yourself in a different way. And to be honest, I think you should, no matter what role you play in-house, agency, freelance, but- it's still, it's so tenuous because if the boss of your POC switches, mm-hmm. that could be instant or your POC, your POC gets laid off. <laughs> it's a slightly different version of the same game you're all playing, which is, may we please market your company? Is that cool? For money. Cool. For money. Yeah. For money. Cool. Are we on the same page here? <laughs> Ahrefs taught me SEO. It was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like... What do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through Ahrefs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers. And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yes. And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So So thank you for Devin's salary back then. Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Don't say Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Ahrefs. 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 
earlier on in the conversation, you said CEOs should fire themselves from being heads of marketing, truly, even if they have a head of marketing, and go do their job. Mm-hmm. You are a CEO. What should their days be if they're not moonlighting as a pseudo head of marketing? <laughs> I mean, their focus is on growing the company, whether that's evangelizing, selling, innovating at a high level, setting vision, right? Like your your job is to grow that baby and you're most effective doing it at the level you're at. When you start to dip in too far, it it sets you off balance, it sets the team off balance and chaos ensues. So while you may think you're brute forcing something into efficacy, most of the time the chaos you're creating is more costly than whatever minor a bit of progress you made. I worked with my leadership team to establish a vision, one, three, five years. If you can set those to so your say, okay, this is what we would want to accomplish this year. Let's just do that in these areas. Revenue for me should be the most important thing, just to boil it down to its simplest parts, right? Everything else should be serving that zone way, including the way our people ops works, making people happy, et cetera. Like if all of that is in harmony, ideally it's in harmony in the right ways and we've tweaked everything to make sure that like it's all leading in that direction. I am responsible for evaluating things at the highest level. And to get there, you have to set up these departments, how they function, how they are measured so that when you're looking at those numbers, those numbers should indicate that the underlying stuff is working or be a trigger to show you that it's not. And then you have to work with your, the people you deputize to run those functions to make sure they work. Now, was I great at that? Did I execute that perfectly? No, of course not. Every step of growth that we, like every sort of major growth milestone that we hit in terms of team size and revenue, of course. Also, we grew fast, right? It was my first time. There's so many factors. So like, did I make mistakes? Yes. But ideally, you surround mm-hmm. yourself with a leadership team that you respect enough so that when they tell you to fuck off, even if you fight them a little, you're like, you feel beholden to them. I think that's the way, that is the mindset. Like I've said this before on the podcast, trust. And that doesn't mean your trust isn't going to be broken. It doesn't mean everything's going to be fine. You just have to trust each other enough to see not- through. Blind trust. You're saying, I mean, we've said before, trust but verify, but you do have to have that certain level of trust until those KPI numbers aren't changing and that person's unwilling to try something new. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe this isn't working. The numbers speak for themselves and the reporting. So like, you know, you've got sort of the cold, hard numbers, which in my case, like that's really where the owner mindset comes in and which is a good thing, right? Like he's up there, cold, hard numbers. At my level leading the company, I'm still in like monthly, I get write-ups from those departments knowing what's going on. We do engagement surveys, like the number of inputs that I had to help see on the inside and not just rely on four people at the very top uh, were immense. And by design, we wanted to see that. And so, um, but even that, don't you, like even describing that to you in, on a very basic level, that kept me really busy. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a lot of work. But what we also talk about, you're talking about like levels of like diving into the wrong 
level. I think of it, I, I, the word that I think has been really useful for me to use is time horizon, right? Like you're talking about operating on a monthly, quarterly, yearly time horizon, but not a daily what's going live today in marketing, what copy is being written in this thing, what sales call is happening today. It sounds like you're looking out to, you're getting reports on a monthly basis, but probably you're goaling and planning and visioning on a quarterly to yearly basis. Oh yeah. Like I didn't know what Ryan was even writing about. I hired you to be an expert. I paid you that way. Zach, when he was running sales, I was like, Zach or Drew or whoever was in, I'm like, are you closing deals? That is what I was measuring. (laughs) Did you close the right number of deals that you were supposed to close at the right price point? And are we on pace to hit our revenue target? Or are we under? Are we over? What are you going to do about it? Et cetera. And then if we were over, I go to my COO and I'm like, what are you going to do about this? Let's think about reforecasting. Do we think this trend is going to continue? And then going back in and either reforecasting to make sure the operations can support a higher number or say, no, we're not going to for these reasons. That is the level that I'm always functioning at. And that still isn't perfect. Like still things, things happen. But at the very least, like my marketing team should just be operating and holding themselves responsible to the numbers, whatever their impact we've agreed upon that they need to make. And I think too, like, here's the other thing is we don't talk about the relationship and the sort of lower level parts of the funnel that marketing is now responsible for in some cases. And somebody was telling me a story the other day, (laughs) again, completely anonymous this whole week where, this whole episode where they had been sending a bunch of leads that were to the sales team as per their job. And then they were just like sitting there for a period of time and never even reached out. So there's other places where your performance can be overshadowed by the lack of performance of other teams or a poor process. Yeah. Or lack of trust too. If maybe there was one month that you sent over a bunch of leads that you had as MQLs, but sales only qualified 10% of them. The next time that you send them over, they're going to be like, I'm just going to get my BDRs to send out emails to our target account list rather than rely on these things from marketing. That's a huge issue too. And the quickest way that marketing becomes arts and crafts and not an actual like revenue generator for the business. And I think too, so it's like, that should be the job of a head of marketing. A head of marketing if they are properly staffed, is mostly, or a CMO. This is why I never wanted to be the the CMO. Although now that I've been a CEO, I actually think it would be more fun because I understand. I feel like I can broker better deals now than I'm friends with the CEO and also get shit done. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I understand how this all works. I can be the mediator here now better than before. But you're basically like, that's what you're doing as a CMO. You're having to align with product and sales and the CEO and report to the board. Like, you're doing mostly business coordination and negotiation and politics. And hopefully you've put a team in place that can operate on the, like work against those KPIs and then you're removing blockers. You're an ambassador. Yeah. You're literally doing like foreign relations (laughs) for the marketing team. This is, I mean, you and I have both experienced this as consultants It's like you come in by invitation of someone and they trust us because they brought us in as consultants and 
you end up having to broker both sides because then you come in and inevitably see where you're like, oh, you're also kind of fucking up too. So yeah. let me help you with that. And so we've also been the ones where we're like, okay, we need to help these two sides come to some baseline level of comprehension and understanding of the other so that then we can get work done. Yes. One of the things that I've seen the biggest gripe on either sides is that heads of marketing will say, I don't have the resources to do my job, which could be that they also think that they actually need way more resources than they do to have the impact because there is a little fat cat syndrome. But they're saying they're not giving me the resources, the budget I need to do my job. And CEOs are saying, I need to balance this budget across the entire business and I need to make sure that everyone is has a fair shake of budget in order to do it. And I don't think that conversation is happening where you were saying that as a CEO in a previous episode that you used to share a fairly cleaned up version of the books with the company and say, like, look at where this budget is going and look at the decisions I have to make. It's shitty, right? And I think the more openness that a founder or CEO has with saying, I know that this is a shitty choice. I know that this isn't perfect, but look at like my own decision-making framework of how I got here. And can you work with me on this, right? Can you think of creative ideas? Can you, whatever it might be. Having that open dialogue, I think is a miss on both sides because a marketer will walk away being like, I can't believe that they're under budgeting my program. They must not think marketing is important. And founders are like, I'm just, I'm doing my best job, right? But I don't think they're sharing enough of their decision-making framework. And I think marketers aren't aren't probably thinking creatively enough about how to have impact outside of spending money. Yeah. I think all, more often than not, I hear marketers walking away being like, I am not enabled to do my job because I haven't been the, given the budget to do it. Thus, my ass is on the line. I could get fired if I don't perform, but I haven't given the resources to perform. And I think that's where the break really gets hairy because they're like, oh my God, I've been hired to do a job and I haven't been enabled to do it. And now I'm going to get fired for doing a bad job when really it's not all my fault. Yeah. And you're right. If Imagine if a founder had gone to any one of us and been like, listen, this is what I have to spend. I know it sucks. And I still really want to get here. Yeah. I know that it would be easier if I, you know, if you had whatever, but can you help me? Can you roll up your sleeves, come up with some creative things we can do with this budget and just can we run like hell mm-hmm. at this thing that seems impossible? That's yeah. an that's like an inspiring conversation. That's like a we're in this boat together. We're trudging through the mud. Let's make it to the finish line rather than like I don't know, go go play in your mud pit by yourself. I don't know. Yeah, what the metaphor and is. at the end of it, we'll learn together. Like if you can run after this with me and try stuff and, you know, come up with your sort of like contract. The CEO is like, here's my expectations of you through this. Can you do these five things? In return, like your ass isn't on the line. Like let's use this as a, if you're doing these things, then at the end of it, we can evaluate. And hopefully by then we will at least gotten either there or close enough to there that then we can change. Because this is the thing. If marketers are focused enough that they have time to not only do the marketing program, but also analyze 
whether or not it is working based on the metrics that you decide are important based on the function of that program itself. I have never once seen a really well thought out proposal around, hey, you put money in this program and revenue comes out the other end. I've never seen that go badly. But it's usually that marketers are working on too many things and they don't have time to analyze or they're so analysis paralysis because maybe they've set up too much tooling and metrics that they're running reports all day long and not actually like shipping enough shit to. So I feel like there's, again, going back to that shipper and polisher framework, I feel like shippers and polishers on the marketing team will both eventually, if you're on either side, not be able to accurately propose and show the impact that you're having up to the CEO to get the appropriate budget because either you're just analyzing everything and not actually doing enough work to show impact. You're just like sitting there in the numbers and pulling reports or you're shipping so much stuff and you're never actually analyzing what's working, what's not, and how you can get better. And either side of those things where I tend to see most marketers polarized to means that you're not then able to have an effective conversation upwardly where you can even ask for more budget. Yeah. There's so much in there that you just said. I'm going to name them top line before I go in because I'm going to forget all of them. Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? (gasps) Tell me. We make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week. It's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week, but we really, really appreciate the folks that do. And so if you want to be in our lives and us in your ears on a weekly basis, I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast and let's be friends forever. And please rate and review because it really helps support the show. We love you bunches. Yeah. There's so much in there that you just said. I'm going to name them top line before I go in because I'm going to forget all of them. One, the metrics problem is a big one. The problem isn't reporting on metrics. It's agreeing on what metrics are important for your company. Although many founders are in our space, our product founders, they don't understand all marketing analytics. And so when you're trying to explain impact and you have to explain the metric itself, they have to do too much learning and thus it's, it, it can be a little more gibberishy and they don't fully trust it. Even if they understand your logic Two marketers aren't good at reporting yet. Like a lot of them are. They're either really good and that's they're sort of more on that side of marketing, the sort of conversion performance side of marketing, or they're on the creative side and they're not as good and they don't know how to like put together that. They don't know how to speak to the higher ups, which again, head of marketing, very important. But the third thing is there shouldn't be shippers or polishers. I know. It's wrong. It's wrong and bad because a straight shipper could eventually compromise content to the point where it doesn't. Yeah, shitty effective. brand experience, shitty yeah. whatever it might be. The problem is, unfortunately, right now the bar is still really low, but fine. Like your post can still perform even if it's garbage. So that's too bad. But yes. Eventually they can take... It's an illusion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, who knows? But then polishers, I don't know. Like, what element of polish could you possibly 
tie back to performance. The polish is the brand and uh, your brand standards. And so the point of them is that you shouldn't be measuring them. It's you being a consistent brand. And so it shouldn't be one or the other. I don't know why that happened. It should never have happened. A marketer's job, as a marketer, you are not an artist. Yep. You are a business person using words and pictures and video media generally to this impact. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times over the last eight months that I have reminded a marketer that the reason that they work at a company is to have business impact. And if they don't have business impact, they need to figure out why they're not having business impact. And make sure whether you champion for yourself or you steamroll through the issues or you finesse through the issues or whatever, like you are working at a company to have business impact. Yeah. Full stop. And I do think that there's part of it like I'm not – you're not an artist. I'm like, well, when I'm not a marketer, I'm an artist. But I do think it tends to attract – the type of people who are creative and don't want to think so much about, I'm generalizing for some marketers here, but I do think marketing as a industry tends to attract a lot of creative people who maybe didn't major in business, right? Or maybe found their way into it through graphic designing their band's flyers. There's, I feel like there's so many stories of marketers that came in I think this is the first time you've ever said anything that I think might get you canceled. Because you just trash design and marketers at the I'm same time. I'm not time. trashing at all. No, I'm not trashing at all. I think it's wonderful that there is a place in business for creativity and creative minds. I'm saying that there's a lot of folks that I even know that I think are very creative, fantastic marketers because they understand design aesthetics and you know how to convert people that came in from maybe being in a band in college and making their flyers. Like I know a lot of Listen, people Listen, it's about way. to get worse because there is some responsive like this isn't just a marketer thing where marketers come in and they're like, "Oh, I just want to make cool stuff." The same is true in every other department too, like engineering product. There are always those people who are really focused on the thing and can't necessarily zoom out. I'm such a scrappy marketer that the only thing I was hearing when you were saying that was slow it down, slow it down. Like the more resources that you've built as specializations in your company on on your marketing team, the slower things go because the webinar person has to go talk to the designer to build the landing page to then set up and then they have to go talk to the social person to do the campaign to that to the and then to the email person to make sure that we can send those emails and segment it in the right way and I feel like there was a time at Envision when I could touch all of those things right when I first joined I could send an email out to our entire HubSpot list I could prop up my own you know my own landing page we always worked with designers so I will say that that was Thank the dependency God. was that we needed to have like pixel perfect design yes. but outside of that I was doing all of the rest of the marketing writing the social copy making it live coordinating with the the host of the or the guest of those things I was doing everything and by the time I left I remember having to send a request to the email team to send an email and I was like 
I literally have, I also still had access and I'm like, I could just do this myself. But, but the internal thing was problem. to that- send it internally, the request, and then they would prioritize the request as part of their own prioritization framework of what emails needed to go out. And I get it because there was a lot of other things. But I think that whenever I hear that, I just hear dependencies and and a decrease of velocity. I I 100% agree with you. This is like the biggest yes and I've ever given, which is marketing rarely has control over their own tools at those big companies where all that density comes into play. I worked for a company, I was consulting with them and I was helping out the marketing team and the objective was to help the marketing team increase velocity. And what I quickly saw was we had to ask engineers for a landing page and they decided the format and because it adhered to the brand standards in terms of the page structure itself to the point where we had a landing page to get webinar signups where the call to action was at the bottom. I think it took more than a month to convince them to change it and then move like, and there was a whole- they probably had to go and petition the design system folks to change the standard. Well, there's like corporate marketing and there was the market that, so it was like so much effort. And so I think that's the other thing is I was asking, well, can we, can, nope, no, we can't control that. Oh, well, can we, nope, we can't. And I get it with the growth of a company comes some- necessary process and overhead. And I have not worked with enough corporate organizations deeply enough to see all the ways that I'm sure some of that is necessary, especially when you're a public company and you have to worry about legal things. But it's still also wrong. I've literally seen them unable to physically make something happen, that they had everything they needed to make happen and had to wait for someone else in another department. And then you think of a new marketer that's on the team that then never thinks of the possibilities of how does the user experience or the design of this page affect conversions because they don't ever feel responsible for the design and the user experience of the page. And that's a bummer too, to think about the lack of creativity. And by that, I mean the lack of awareness of all of the different variables that do affect human behavior and affect human behavior at scale. Because there are definitely user experience things that that really change somebody's ability to do the thing that maybe they always wanted to do. I mean, I go through flows all the time of like e-commerce flows and stuff. And there's just like a little point of friction where I get sick of it and don't buy, right? Or I'm like, it gives me enough doubt of like, or enough time to be like, maybe I don't need that thing, you know? We as humans can make everything so hard. What if it wasn't? What if it wasn't hard? You know, I think some of the legacy brand standard operations are kind of not necessary anymore. I think you can loosen up those principles to allow for more experimentation and have a core set of standards that make it clear that what the brand is. And that would give a little more flexibility and ownership to marketing teams at big companies where they're limited by, they're more limited by these things than they are enabled by them. On the smaller side, it's like, can't you just agree on an impact type Mm -hmm. and amount 
and give enough time to see it pan out? And the answer is for the, like for a funded startup, a lot of times the answer is no. Yeah. I know. I was just thinking, I was like, how often would you let the, as a CEO, would you just be like, oh, I'm just going to let them run for three months and then I'll check in and see if I need to. Oh, I absolutely would. I think that's smart because A, I'd be measuring month to month and like the month to month stuff would be coming in. B, three months is a very short period of time unless you're doing the sort of a performance style marketing where there's immediate results. And see if it was my company and it served my, whatever our growth rate was for that year. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a sort of- I'm saying like to let them really go and not check in on them for three months, right? I would never, that's not even what I was saying in the first place. I'm like, listen, at least the way we did it is it's annual, quarterly, monthly. Mm -hmm. What the monthly does is that is your sort of your automatic check-in. Yeah. And obviously I'm less interested in month one because you're usually getting, if you're starting something in month one, you're not month one is all about the blockers. Like, yeah, there are going to be blockers in month one. So tell me what they were so we can unblock you rather than like expect. Tell me what they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Because a head of marketing worth their salt is in that understands the planning years working together. And then they have given me a plan to say over the, in H1, here is what I plan to accomplish to stay on, to be on track for whatever numerical, whatever number I'm responsible for. Here is the plan by quarter, right? So I know in advance, I'm not surprised. There will still be surprises, right? And then they're keeping me updated. I can see over the course of the quarter if we're trending in the right direction. Yeah. And I'm I'm not trying to oversimplify, but there's a way to do this. Yep. And it's not complicated. It just requires an overlay of trust. Yeah. And time. Time. Because time your point- would be great. Founders slash CEOs are doing this in other areas of their business where they feel whether they trust people more or there's immediate, more immediate impact. Maybe their brain just works in that section of the business a little bit better. There are places, and I would challenge every founder and CEO to think about your business. There are places where you are not jumping in and micromanaging on the daily and weekly and possibly even monthly level where you're sitting on your hands and you're waiting for your leaders to give you reports and you understand how to measure them and you're tracking them against the agreed upon metrics. I would challenge founders and CEOs to to really dive deep on why they're not letting marketing live that way. You want to know why? I <laughs> This is what I think is that in the areas where they know, where they're more familiar, they know how to look up the data along the way and mm. they are, and they probably are still needling their product people. And I've seen it at, at other companies, but as well. So it's like, they know how to check the data. Just like I could go in and check the performance of a marketing plan as it was going on and not tell anyone. Yeah. Right. Um, and so and I think- of course on launch day, you're refreshing the metrics too. <laughs> oh, girl, love me a launch. I think it's that they probably are. They just are more comfy with those metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Where an example for me was in customer ops. I didn't know how, like I wasn't an expert in co- writing contracts or SOWs or billing, but there were all these people that I had to trust to do it well. And still- Things came up. And when they did, it's like, oh shit, this sucks. Yeah. You know, we felt pain. 
But at every step, they were able to explain to me why it happened and say, here's what we're going to do to fix it. I'm like, okay, like you're going to make mistakes. The trust is maintained by and it, like finding the issue, solving the issue, being able to explain the issue. And that's, that's how we improved our operations. But do you know what changes with marketing is those mistakes are public and at scale usually. So I'm saying like, oh, like we messed, we messed up on this thing. We messed up on like, oh, we, I don't know, didn't cover our ass in this contract or we changed whatever your like customer ops example is of like, there were still mistakes to be made, but they came with you to say, this is how we're going to fix it to make sure this is why it happened. This is how it's never going to happen again. That ha probably happened with one customer or a handful of customers. I think with marketing, it might be also why there's so much like micromanagement is that the those mistakes if they're mistakes or like failures or like oops we forgot to link this thing to the right landing page and it, we sent traffic here instead of there those things are public facing and usually larger numbers than like a one or a, or a two kind of thing Which and i do absurd. wonder third that is actually absurd and illogical <laughs> because if you care more about a superficial mistake that makes you like, whoopsie, we're all human. The customer mistake costs a lot more money and mm -hmm. can have impact for longer, especially if it relates to a contract. I'm not and so it's rational. I'm just trying I to know. find the... No, I'm with you though. Okay. And I think it's like at the end of the day, maybe it's that more leaders at the company are polishers than they're willing to admit mm. that they are so yeah girl hot take hot take because <laughs> if you're gonna be so finicky about a mistake like that because to me that's actually not a catastrophic marketing mistake that could be made and also this the cycles of information are so fast now that like and there's so much you can do if you write a post optimize for some keyword and it doesn't end up ranking, you can tweak that. And there's so yeah, many yeah. fixes. I think, I think you're right. There's an embarrassment factor. There's a publicity. It's like, oh no, I'll say whatever I want to your face, but on camera, I forget I'm too scared. That's it. And then there's like a whole bunch of people running companies who are, they're polishers. Yeah. And they need to get, and they need to get the business mindset back in their heads to say, we are doing this to make money. Yep. And the more you put together clear expectations, measurements, and timeline that is achievable, you are setting them up for greater success to perform than by you coming in sideways, meddling with a word in a subject line or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> I think you're hitting something deep here, which is also this trade-off of and something I have said repeatedly is that if you want your marketing team to move faster, you have to get comfortable with the inevitable mistakes that will be made by moving fast. There's always that quality bar that we should all figure out what our internal definition of quality is and make sure we're running through a checklist in our marketing <laughs> programs that it's not embarrassing or a brand snafu or, or at odds with what experience or values our customers or prospects align to. However, if you want velocity, velocity is speed plus direction. You have to provide a direction 
And you have to allow speed, which means that there will inevitably not be perfection. Remove blockers. Yeah. Leaders remove blockers. Let's use an example that puts us in the spotlight because I just thought of one. Oh, God. Puts you in the spotlight or us in the spotlight? Us. Okay. Here's what it is. You said something to me the other day about – we were talking about delegating things. Mm -hmm. And you said, okay, but you have to be okay with it not necessarily being done in the way you imagine or on the timeline that you imagined. Yeah. And I think that is like foundationally where founders and CEOs should start. However, however long you pictured this would take and however you pictured it would look like, let that go. Work with your head of marketing to agree on a timeline and a plan and set up the relationship where you can have some visibility, a minimal amount to make you calm, right? Yeah. That is number one. And that is something that you said to me regarding don't say content because we are now growing a thing. We didn't mean to. If, I mean, we all this, we did this thing, but it did we more than we wanted to, but like we, we thought also it was released take longer. We released the stress of growing it too, where we're just like, we're going to have fun. But I think also the growth caught up with us, right? Yeah. Where it was doing more things were happening than we anticipated at a faster clip. So yeah. we're having to sort of consistently have those check ins with each other, which is where that conversation came about. That's sort of like a, like a principle through growing a thing ourselves that I learned and absorbed on a deeper level. There's so many CEOs that are like, I don't micromanage my team. And I'm like, do you require it to be what you thought it was going to look like in your head? Do you require it to be on the timeline in which you've deemed necessary? Feels micromanaging to me. <laughs> yeah. Did you specify? Did you say like, we should create a podcast? Yeah. Did you specify the tactics and the channels in which you would like to see it executed in? Did you... Did you give it tons of examples of other companies that are already doing it and did it in two seconds because you talked to the founder and that's what they think, but really that's not reality at all? Did you require a copy edit? And then uh, did you edit all of the words yourself? You start spouting all of your friends who have done this. I'm about to get canceled. This is what we all had to deal with. Yeah. Some founder... Rewriting Telling copy us. at midnight, <laughs> the night before no. the launch. Oh, no, no, no. That stuff, that's whatever. The thing that always got me was when founders came to me with a great idea mm-hmm. that educated me on marketing that I didn't know and was like, my friend does this, my founder friend at this company, and he did it in a week. And they grew not the same product, not yeah. the same, you know, space. And not the same go to market motion, not the same audience, not the same anything. My first day at Help Scout, I think it was my first or second day. It was my definitely my first week. Blast him. Nick Francis like swiveled around in his chair because he sat right behind me and he was like, We got into an hour long argument about webinars. (laughs) And that thing turned in so many circles. And I was like, Why are we talking about this? It was like, I think he had had a question or something about webinars. I just remember sitting there like, why am I fighting with my, like, why is this happening? And I'm scared because the CEO is like now sort of getting heated at me and I don't know why because it's nothing to do with anything I'm currently working on. Those types of things were like, 
they're sort of telling you how things should be at the same time. Yep. Those are, those are boo moments. Yeah. Boo moments. So the second thing that is absolutely hard that you and I have been going through is letting someone else express you Mm. or your brand. And so Christina Carson, who took over our experiments on short media platforms, TikTok and YouTube, we're curious about those from a lot of different angles. In some cases, we're using Don't Say Content, and in my case, my own profile to run experiments, both for this, but also for, in my case, selfishly, my clients, because I think it's useful. But she's using my literal face and name. And voice. Yeah. And thoughts, right? And so I have to sit there and say, okay, sometimes she may put something on there that maybe I don't love or whatever, but I'm looking at it through the lens of the experiments and the learning that we're trying to gain. And so she sent one to me yesterday and I was like, this is like, I would never do that ever. Not a day in my life. I was like, (gasps) and I was like, A, this is hilarious. Yeah. The video tactics she used worked. And from a the views standpoint, which is what she was experimenting on. And then there was another one where when she was making the video, she kind of made a mistake. And there's one, like, I'm talking and then your head is, like, going in circles. But I was like, this is so weird and I love it. Like, you've never done any unhinged shit before. <laughs> Everyone I wish would remember the great Margaret mashup that I made. I was completely unhinged. <laughs> I loved it. Anyway, I think we actually need more like unhinged here. marketing. I think there's a little – this is a complete side note, but I think that there's a sub-section um, of, like, underground marketing that's starting to, like, percolate that I just – I'm going to call it unhinged marketing, where it's yeah. just so fucking weird that it breaks through the noise. And if your brand will allow it, I think it's a really fun place to play. I'm excited to see more. I think yeah. it's going to be a really fun way to experience marketing. I think that going back to your thing about founders or CEOs feeling uncomfortable with there is this rise of personal branding of founders and CEOs. And also to your point of like a founder CEO needs to be the biggest evangelist of the company and public facing and a lot of those things. Maybe not always, but I think in the majority of cases, I do think that that's an interesting nuance to touch on where I think that's actually a place where a head of marketing can have a little bit more empathy of the fact that this is this, especially founders, baby, the company themselves which feels like part of themselves. So they want to make sure it's accurately represented externally. And the other thing is, especially when it's marketing's facilitation of the founder and CEO's personal brand, that's another place to really make sure that uh, you're having conversations to make that stakeholder comfortable, make sure that they that you understand the high stakes or the emotional nature of the work that you're doing. I don't know why I have so many hot takes today. This might be a bad... This is a fundamental flaw with the startup model is that as a person running a business, you should not be emotional about your product or the company. This goes back to something I have said for years, which is earlier, before... (laughs) Before times. Founders were inventors. They were product people. They worked in companies that had a business purpose and they innovated within the bounds of that business. When you give inventor a business, 
what happens? They get emotional. They become polishers. They change their mind a lot based on emotions, also based on advice from their friends and their board. And boards were supposed to be, I think, like you bring on these investors and they give you and advisors and they give you advice. And like, that's supposed to help you like be more businessy and less emotional. They obviously don't because they're emotional too. They're all weenies about money. We just saw that with the whole Silicon Valley bank. Like they're all flawed. And so it's like, what? of course this isn't weenies working. Money might be my favorite quote to pull out of this. They're all weenies about money. <laughs> People are weird about money in general. And so I think the whole model doesn't actually work in real life because they're not business people making growing companies. They're inventors making a thing and then trying to create a company around it, but they don't have enough guardrails to get around themselves mm. to make sober decisions about the company. The ones who have built companies before and they do it a second time where they're like, oh, I get what this is. And they can maybe do it faster the second time around because they realize that there's a greater portion of this is the business and it isn't about changing the world. It's really just about making money. And that eliminates a lot of emotional decision-making if you, if you just relent to that mission. Go to therapy. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Not you, Devin, the people listening. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't that big of a deal, honestly. <laughs> like, even if you fail, and maybe it's just because like I have like I have failed <laughs> multiple times publicly. So it's like I think after a while you're just sort of like Yeah. It's like nothing failure happened. is inevitable. It's not something to be scared of. And that my dear listeners is the end of season two of Don't Say Content. Thank you so much for being a listener and for hanging out with us every week. We will be back in September. If this is September 2023 and you're listening to this podcast, keep listening. Advance to that next little epi and we will see you so soon.